0: Of all the performative arts, one could argue a stand-up comedian is the purest. One person, one mic, and a whole bunch of apprehensive eyeballs looking at you. The energy of a great stand-up set at a comedy club is the stuff of legend. And I admire those raconteurs of farce and satire among us, who brave the crowds and bear their musings on life to the unpredictable mob. I love going to comedy clubs. Tonight we take a peek into that world and much more on this episode of oh, five dollar buzz welcome to five dollar buzz coming to you from west hollywood california this is your friend pete with me as always is the trusty buzzards of banter, Roger, Michael Mayer, and George, the wizard of the spoof, Cursar, How was your evening thus far, fellas? Well,
1: mine's great. Um, George, you're
0: having yeah. troubles George, with the George,
1: what happened? I was
2: struggling, struggling just a little bit tonight with uh, the bottle opener for the wine, and I think uh, it caused some uh, amusement. Um but I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm in the process of moving. So my first string bottle opener wasn't available. And uh, I would just the like to remark, string. yeah, I'm going with my role players here. The bench <laughs> is not very deep. But, uh, you know, that old saying, Pete, if your friend ever says, I need help moving, you give him a firm handshake, <laughs> you look him right in the eye and say, I have other plans.
1: <laughs> Demented. Sage, you called for uh, uh, your, your, your bottle opener.
0: Demented. You did refer to your bottle, your second string bottle opener as demented a little while ago. That's very funny. A quick question for you both: Do you guys have you are you are you guys do you guys frequent stand up when we were going to stand up clubs? Do you have any special memory of a stand up that you've been to or a comedy club situation you've been to? Just real quick, George. Um,
2: I remember I've seen a pretty big performance by chris rock at madison square garden one year on new year's eve that was pretty cool um that one really jumps out at me but uh it's you know it's been a while since i've seen it live i should probably make a better effort to get to more of those
0: you know um you know what i think of uh one of my first stand-up comedian comedy experiences was i think with you and adam sandler came to our school back in the day that was really very funny i remember Um, that But, uh, Roger, how about you?
1: Well, I hate comedy, and I hate most comics. (laughs) But, you know, uh, the uh, thing is about comedy is I stare at it, as a friend of mine would say, with a very certain amount of apprehension. So I expect, you know, we'll talk about that. Sort of like a Mount Rushmore of comics I kind of want to get into later. Because I do have those that I, you know, revere pretty highly. The bar is set high. Uh, there was that whole row of comics that talked endlessly about Thanksgiving dinner and airports, which just drove me nutty. You know, you ever been to the airport and seen it? You know, the <laughs> kind of whiny thing that he's got going on. So, you know, it's, uh, I, I, I like comedians that are a little distaffed, a little, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it. You probably can guess who they are from the Bill Hicks to the.
0: Like, I can't wait to yeah. hear your mount Rushmore of comedians but writing. i've
1: seen plenty and i'm about to direct an episode a stand-up comedy oh show. that's
0: right and uh, i believe uh, uh by the time this airs you'll have directed a a comedy special that's pretty I exciting will. we'll hear about that later mm-hmm. as well very cool well gentlemen um help me in welcoming a very special guest someone we are excited to get to know more about today among many things she is a writer an actor and an incredible comedian my friend and soon to be yours. Please welcome Bridget McManus. Hi.
3: Hi, what a lovely intro. How are you doing? I'm so good. I'm excited that I'm talking to the buzzards. Like, oh, so. <laughs> every time Great I to have you. Thing, one of your episodes, I would text Pete and be like, let me tell, tell you why this episode was so good. He was like, I'm making dinner, back off. <laughs> so, uh, I, I really am a fan of you guys. So I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank well,
0: you. Bridget, th- thank you for coming on. I mean, you know, just personally, you you've been a, a dear friend of mine for a very long time. I'm really excited. I know that maybe uh, maybe George and uh, Roger have met you in the past in passing through similar events and stuff we've been to, but you know, when I first moved to Los Angeles, you were one of my first friends and still one of my closest friends. And you took you were you were so kind to me and so nice to me, and uh, and you and uh, Carmen, your wife who is amazing as well, are just two of my close friends. And I love you very much. And uh, I'm just so excited that we're having this, we have this opportunity to, uh, to talk to you because there is a lot of, I mean, you're, you know, you're as deep as the ocean. You know, I um, just, if I can share one quick story, and I would love to, uh, I want to hear about where you're from and, and, and your story of coming to LA. But when we started working together on the Jeff Prop show, if you remember,
3: oh yes, I remember.
0: <laughs> you, uh, I was still, I was very new to Los Angeles, and um, you were on. You were the warm-up comedian, and I was a stage manager. And at lunchtime, you sensed that I was a little stressed out, or or maybe a little too busy, and you'd pull me aside, and we'd go find a back corner of this of the stage. And you'd have me do these sun salutes and this like breathing and, and this activity that I do to this day of stating how I want my day to be and repeating it three times. And you would do this with me. And, you know, at first, because of my, you know, insecurity, for lack of a better word, I, I felt like it was weird for me, but you made me feel very comfortable right away with it. And... I'm telling you, to this day, every morning I wake up, and I breathe deeply, and I put my arms up to the sky, and I try to pull the sun into myself, as you taught me to, and I say, I want to be a good listener today, I want to be a good listener today, I want to be a good listener today, I want to have a good interaction with so-and-so, I want to, you know, and I go through all the the things in my life because of this thing, that this gift you gave me of of stating your intentions in this meditative practice that I carry with me. And and first of all, I want to say thank you for that, but it's just an example of how incredible you are as a human. So with that, I want to welcome you to the show. And, uh, you know, we'd like to hear hear about you. Uh, do I have a right? You're from Massachusetts?
3: Born in Massachusetts. Yep. I'm a masshole. Yep, Yep. <laughs> Red Sox. Got to do it. Yep. Excellent. I know we're discussing my mother. I have. Tom now Tom Brady like ugh, ugh a lot of feelings but I have <laughs> Tom Brady pillowcases every year my mom gives me or was I'm like you know and then she was giving me Gronkowski stuff which was great and now and then Edelman and it's like then, then, they went to ugh now I'm I'm all ugh, I'm just too upset right now I don't even know what we're talking about anyway sorry keep going sorry. <laughs> traitor but anyway sorry keep going I'm a big football fan you guys like football
0: <laughs> oh we got, we have a fo- we have a couple football fans here George can we'll uh, we'll go talk to oh you can't can't say no all right yeah 49ers
3: oh 49ers that's great that's a great team oh yeah george what about you
2: um well i started out with the jets unfortunately (laughs)
3: that's really sad i'm sorry for your loss yeah
2: and uh i fired them i don't know i want to say at least 10 or 15 years ago oh
3: my god
2: the the uh they were looking for money from their fans just for the I think it was 80 grand just to buy tickets. Not even to buy tickets. You had to pay 80 grand just to get in the door. And I just like the is Jets. That's
3: real? That's a yeah. real?
2: Yeah. Oh. They had this practice where uh, you would pay them tribute. You know, these are billionaires who, um, this is like a side project for them. Like their real money, the Johnson family made their money in another business activity. Fuck them. Yeah. It, well the jet fans have been being abused for a very long time so that's yeah. a very nice I'm over uh, to Kansas City. My way to describe owns,
3: it my friend owns stock in uh, green bay you know how it's okay. like it's owned by the whatever so she yeah. owns Calvin Lounsbury, owns stock in green bay
2: yeah so i think the less we talk about as kevin always tells me the less we talk about the jets the better off everyone's
3: gonna it sorry Massachusetts. and uh and then i lived in connect i moved to connecticut when i was five and i'm um, i um left my very large amazing italian family in massachusetts and my whole world was my nana and because i was five and i didn't have any control of my life the one thing i did have control over was eating so i gained a lot of weight and i was over 200 pounds when i was like 12 years old and uh people really ostracized me and so one of the really great things because i'm a person that has gained and lost 70 pounds three different times i gain and lose i think i will always kind of have that I'm an emotional eater i do love to eat i love to cook Um, but one of the great things about kind of being ostracized and bullied a lot as a kid was you can kind of do two things it's like people that have really bad abuse you can either like recoil or you can go out and you know you can abuse other people or, or whatever right so i just took it as like no one's talking to me so i'm just gonna listen really well that's why you mentioned earlier that sun salutation it's like i can see things or you know i i I kind of do some psychic mediumship now. I don't. I'm, I'm kind of coming out by saying that because I don't really tell a lot of people that, because um, everyone's like, "What's woo woo?" Whatever. But it's more about just like feeling energy, so I can tell if somebody's upset or what's going on. And also, one of the things about doing standup is like, it's the only creative performance where it's okay for the audience to boo you. Like, you don't have that at a concert unless you're really being a fucking dick, right? Mm-hmm. But like, come, It's like if you don't like somebody you don't laugh, which are automatically you are so naked on stage. And it's like, it is so hard to do stand up in a room where it's hard enough to like have different opinions on what's funny. Usually when someone gets on stage, you look at them. And some people just laugh immediately because like, they look funny, or sometimes you see someone get on stage. And you're like, what do you have to make fun about? Your life looks good. You're, you're like this, you're like that, you know, it's like you look like my ex and someone talks about politics or whatever. And so and usually people come to these shows to get drunk. You know and and I would say maybe people come to a comedy show once or twice in their lifetime and then they like they either have a good experience, bad experience, and they might not come back. And as a person that's in stand-up, I go to as many shows as possible. So when I was a kid, um, I just, since nobody was hanging out with me, I just started having cat circuses and parks <laughs> for one, and like making costumes. and then when my life kind of you know evolved, I ended up going to New York University. I got, I got a drama degree. I was really into theater. Um, I was doing improv in New York it was, you know, waitressing and bartending at a place called Martinis in Times Square. And, uh, you know, I was there for September 11th. I, I wasn't in there for September. 11th. I was living there. I went home to Connecticut. I just happened to go home to Connecticut that, you know, wow. So that was that was a weird, part, weird fate um, for me, because I actually so had the not weekday been, too.
1: So you were yeah. for longer than just the weekend.
3: I had an audition that day at it was after I graduated and I remember being scared to do the audition. And so I, I chickened out right beforehand. And so I went home, I think on like the Sunday, cause I didn't want to do it. And my friend was really mad at me that I, that I didn't do it, that I bailed. And we were supposed to be, it was like right at then NYU building. But anyway, so I, I moved back October 1st or, or, or I went back October 1st. That's when I stayed. And then, um you know, life changed a lot in New York. You guys know that mm-hmm. and people weren't going to see, they, they, they weren't watching. I was the- there. I
1: filmed the buildings coming down. So yeah, I w- I,
3: I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, just, your life changed, and, yeah. and it should have Appreciate changed. It. And people didn't want to spend thirty five dollars to go see your downtown off 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 Broadway production of Streetcar. They were like wanted to watch the news and stay home with their family because everyone was scared. And so a week
1: to- though, I mean two weeks. It takes as soon you as that. Two weeks, game. people. Say
3: that
1: yeah, that Saturday Night Live episode and you know, that um.
0: The the Yankees game that you know, yeah. But in fairness, Roger, that those are those are staples of New York. Like Letterman went on that night, SNL went on, the Yankees went on. But you're talking about every single day, even after 9 11.
3: Well, you're
2: not. (laughs) They did start in with stuff like the terror code level, and there was a much stronger police presence, and you started seeing like the militarization. And I think they department. did. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of things are p- changing. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: It was a shift.
3: Absolutely. And I think like, I'm not, I, 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 you know, you probably have no idea who I am, but it's nice that Pete loves me, but I've been a working stand-up for many, many years. I've traveled the world and I've headlined places It, but you only kind of see just kind of, you know, and just like the Rolling Stones, like when you think of a musician, they're either like on television, on the radio, you know, or they're, or you are no one, you're not successful, but there's always things in the middle. Right. Sure but isn't. I wasn't a name. So it was like, no one's gonna come out and see me, but they might go and see, you know, uh, Demetri Martin or they might go see, you know, back when Louis CK was performing, right? They would they would go out to that, but they're not gonna go like, oh, I'm gonna check out some new comics. They don't fucking care, they wanna watch TV. And I, and I understood that. So then in 2003, I had friends that moved out to Los Angeles and I was like, I'll just try it as a change. And then I came out here and I just loved it. And I started working commercials and then I shipped it over, started working in TV then I became an assistant um, to an executive producer at Universal and I started doing all the movie stuff. And that was kind of a big life changing moment because I was on all these conference calls with these brilliant, amazing talented people. And then they would have these meetings with the executives and all these great ideas they had were, got shifted and changed because oh, yeah. money was involved and it really broke my heart where i was like "Ooh, i really prefer independent projects oh yeah you know this is a 50 million million dollar angelina jolie movie you know she gets cast because she's a name even though the, the character she's playing in the comic book it was a movie called wanted um yeah. she played this character named fox and you know she's a black character and then they switch things around and so you know, car placement, things like that. And so that was such an interesting time. And the person I was working for lived in France. He would come in for these movies. And so it was perfect because I'd get up at four in the morning, work with him until four o'clock in the afternoon. And then I would go wait and lie at the comedy store, you know, because they always have those open mics. And I went at every single day. I'd go to every open mic that they had. And I just went until, until I started booking shows. And then after about three months, I was able to quit my job, which was, really good because it was the job was over. <laughs> but the last day that I worked with him was was actually the um, the big premiere um, of the movie wanted. And then I came home and I was like, I'm gonna do stand up and I started touring. And I started doing cruises and I get so seasick. Do you guys like cruises?
0: I've never been on a cruise in my oh. life. But I, do, I want to try one one day, but I've, I've never done it.
3: Anybody? Do, else? Like
2: cruises? I went on one no. when I was a kid, but you know. <laughs> I just feel like I, I it, it's so claustrophobic and I just feel like I have no desire to really be in that situation
3: yeah so I did I did a bunch of cruises and I did a bunch of resorts in Mexico and then I went and did the gay games which is like the gay olympics in in Germany and That was a weird experience because I was on stage and there's like 5,000 people in the audience from all over the world and you tell a joke and then it'd be silent. And then like two seconds later, they would laugh because it's like a moment of translation. Ah. So that was completely bonkers. And then I started working in TV. The amazing Pete Liska called me one day. He was working at the Jeff Probe show. I've never seen a man love a man so much as Jeff Probst loves this stuff. Lo- like I wouldn't be surprised if Jeff Probst leaves something to you in his will. But I'm not Stop. joking. Like, his house, his children, he loves you. So I got called in just for the day because something happened with their warm up and it changed my life and I've been a professional warm up comedian on dozens of shows, comedy specials, game shows, late night shows and um, yeah. It's been great.
0: Well, I mean, you, you know, there's a lot there. It's it's really incredible. And I mean, you know, just to touch back on the earlier part of what you were saying, you know, how you get your, your growing up experience and um, maybe moving and, and, you know, just the example of your intuition of not being in New York city on nine 11 is, okay. is a, is very, very interesting as well. And I mean, it, it makes me want to talk about that other side of comedians that i think allows them to be comedians that whether it's a sadness or a life experience or um or a cynicism that they have to control by by going out on stage and and i tried to touch on it in the in the opening preamble there but you know it really it really fascinates me it really does strike me as a pure form of art because you know you have to put on that face almost you know you have to you have to go out there and it's just you it's just like you were saying it's ju- it's raw and it's just you and i think of some of my heroes like robin williams for example you know it wasn't so much later i mean i'm sure many people knew of his sadness throughout some of the quotes he would say throughout his life but you know for him to meet his end the way he did really makes you wonder someone that's so energetic and so positive and so happy and so nice generally might be fighting something as i believe he's quoted as saying everyone's you know fighting a fight that you have no idea about so just be nice i love that quote i i carry that that kind of ethos with me i try to anyway you know so i find that really fascinating and i just salute those who get up and do that it's a it's probably a interestingly healthy way to expunge bad things in your life or, or 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 work out trouble
3: in your life is that fair to say yeah i think the line that it, it's hard to you know kind of like stay from you want to share your experience especially for me it's always the best comics are real life stories what's going on because it's relatable but you don't want it to turn into therapy because nobody just wants to hear somebody bitch and rant right it's like yeah. oh my god but when you tell a story where it's like you're you're sharing your heartbreak, people do relate to that. So it, what kind of can? I, first of all, I'm very open. I've struggled with depression my entire life. I'm on two medications now. Just got a, <laughs> a new <laughs> prescription. Um, and every comic I know suffers from depression. We we do actually have a high percentage of suicide. We re, just That's like air traffic controllers, friend. We which do. is we do. Yeah. Um, And I think that what's what's great is if you have a community of people that actually um, you work together, you run jokes, you talk about good days and bad days, because it's one of those things that if any kind of form of art, I'll give an example of my wife, my wife's a musician, someone doesn't like her song. Okay, they don't like her song. And yes, she might be singing life experiences. If you get on stage and tell jokes, they don't like you. It's so much more than just the art you're doing because the art is you.
0: wow that's a really interesting point
3: because if somebody i mean i've i've done so many different shows and and i have a a friend that was a producer of last comic standing and she would always put you know we're friends so she put me up every year they had auditions which i'm so glad they my bad auditions never got on there and it was like, the, the worst thing about auditioning was, you know, it's for television. So it's eight o'clock in the morning is your call time on a Saturday in front of, in the dark room with silence and this camera's over there and Natasha Leggero's here And it's like, you have three minutes, go. And it's like, this is a fun environment to tell <laughs> jokes in. Right? And then you just bomb <laughs> it and then happens. people tell you how much you suck. And you're like, why did I get up this morning? But then, <laughs> <laughs> but then you feel like you suck, you know? And so yeah. what I like First of all, I love weirdos. Weirdos are so I love physical comics. I'm a very physical comic. So Pete, I'm sure you've seen me do lap dances on people. Oh I love it. Yeah, I'm, it nice. I'm like a spider monkey. Although now you can't do that because of people are more, more careful and you know, me too. You shouldn't be doing it anyway. Every time I do I go to like a sexual harassment training at universal, I'm always like, is this made for me? <laughs> um I'm just I try right. to keep it festive. But but seriously, <laughs> it's like a woman can climb on a man and be funny. If man does, you know what I'm saying? Like this this weird kind of so you have to kind of figure out what you're allowed to do and when, when what to push and what's funny, what's not funny. And I've definitely put my foot in my mouth. There was a woman in the audience and I just made this big joke. Sometimes I bring extra rings. This is so fucked up and I'll pick somebody that's who has been together for a long time. And are you guys married? No, come up here. And I will be like, I'll hand him the ring and go, do it now. And I'll like set him up like he's supposed <laughs> to And he's horrified <laughs> and it's a joke. And There was a woman that like was so upset. She like stormed out of the thing. It's usually gone really well. And I was like, I can't ever do this again. This is a horrible thing. You know, but I thought it was—I thought it was funny, and it's like, no, not everything I think oh is funny. God. Other people don't think is funny. That's the art. Um,
2: what about like in today's uh, environment of, uh, I guess, sense heightened sensitivity, and um, you know, there's a lot of, um, especially for comics. I think they probably have it harder because. They um, are on the front lines of this whole conversation. Yeah, they're really pushing the boundaries. And I heard uh, a comedian, a lot of people probably know Whitney Cummings, yep. say, you know, uh, this cancel cu- culture environment is probably only going to strengthen um, comedians because m- the more something is taboo, the more the comedians are going to want to push the boundaries. Uh, do you agree yeah. with that?
3: I, I think what's, I think funny is funny no matter what, right? I think um, I think a lot more people, as far as cancel culture goes, I think it's more about like accountability. Like, if you're telling a joke that's not funny or hurtful, like if you're telling a Nazi joke, it's never going to be funny. you telling an abortion joke, never going to be funny, right. no matter well, how you going kind to of spin it. Would you say? I, uh, you can oh, you I agree? agree? Okay, okay, maybe a certain skilled comic can do it. I, I yeah. I'll agree with you on that one. I wouldn't do that because I, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable. Maybe. Make great
1: Nazi jokes all the time, but not okay, as a well. There bander. you go.
3: There you go. Um, <laughs> But I think um, a lot of people now, especially because of social media, they feel like everyone, their opinion matters. Everybody has an opinion about things and people were scared to have opinions. So it's good that people can have their opinions. But sometimes it's like, shut the fuck up. If you don't think something's, if I don't like something, I see every movie, I'll put it this way. I I see every single movie. I I can't even tell you how many movies I've seen. If it's out, I watch it. I'm a, a movie Crazy person. The ArcLight Cinema. I used to have my own chair at the fucking ArcLight. The fact it's closing is killing me. But anyway, I only post online when I like a movie. So I might like six movies a year, and I've probably seen three hundred and fifty because I'm not going to go online and say I hate this. It sucks. Even if something's like crazy offensive, I'm just going to kind of stay out of that fight. So I think. Um, have you seen Dave Chappelle's all his comedy specials on Netflix? He had one specifically, the one that he starts where he talks about. Um, he talks about. Anthony Bourdain killing himself. Did you, uh-huh. did you guys see that one?
1: I did. Oh, I yeah. I
3: thought that was the most brilliant piece of comedy, the whole thing, because he, for me, really was right in that line of like, you shouldn't be talking about this, but it's funny. And I was like, "This is how you do it," because it's yeah, not yeah. even mean spirited. Like, I want I want anybody who wants to be a stand up, and that's another thing. A lot of people get on stage. I'm going to stand up, and it's like my friends think I'm funny, and it's like, no, it's actually a job. You have to write jokes. Like, there's work that goes into it. Every show I do, if it's a TV show, versus a late night show, versus like if I'm opening for T- Tiffany Haddish for her comedy specials, like mm-hmm. all the jokes and audiences are different. You have to kind of prepare. Um, but what was so I, I think all comics need to see the uh, the comedian, which is a Jerry Seinfeld documentary. Because they can actually see what it's like. It's like going to clubs at night and getting paid and drink tickets and the environment and other comics and it's this weird bullying thing and you know, I think as a lesbian it's been really great for me because I'm a, I'm just I'm one of the guys in my own head so i'm just like oh i don't fit in here i think i do you know and it's just i'm not no one's trying to date me i'm not trying to date anybody else you know so um and then seeing Chappelle's, um i don't is it sticks and stones or is that was that chris rocks i forget but one of the ones when the one with anthony mordain i just thought that was so brilliant because everything he did you're not supposed to talk about you're not supposed to talk about suicide you're not talking about, and he did and it was funny and i just yeah. was like I was motivated i was like this is really smart comedy but i also love stupid comedy stupid comedy makes me happy too
0: Chappelle is one of those names that you know as we get to those that mount rushmore you're talking about Roger later um, i think you'd have to put up there for his no his incredible insight and uh in tackling those topics just as he's such an, as you're talking he's amazing
3: about. but during his like breakdown period when he was contract contractually obligated to do all those shows that he would just sit on stage and smoke and just stand. i witnessed one of those shows he was headlining some comedy festival, my friend Fortune was performing. All these great people were performing and we stayed. We're sitting in this grass. They oversold it. it was totally an illegal event because it was just like thousands of people there. We stayed for him to be the headliner. So all day and he just sat on the on the stage and smoked and talked about how shitty all the other cities were. And I was like, you're a dick, <laughs> you're a dick. But yeah. then he does some comedy special. and I'm like, I love you so much. <laughs> I know he, he's a, you
1: know, the guy. He ran away from 50 fucking million dollars.
3: But
0: you, you can't know, tell yeah. your soul. I get that. Everybody's different. Like <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there he is. You made an interesting point in bringing up Chappelle, um, and you know, you actually talked about something that um, our our former guest Shaka King, uh, who directed Judas and the Black Messiah, we were talking about comedians versus dramatic actors at one point in that conversation, and That's he said something. Does something very much the same in that, what's funny is what's real actually it's not about a joke it's not about anything he's like the absurdity of reality is what's funny and what and when you can capture that on film that's from his perspective which i think he's done on in a few occasions his shorts his shorts shorts in particular and but um but he makes that argument very clearly just as you're saying It's the absurdity of life that's actually really, really funny. And it also, you know, you bring up Chappelle as well. And to continue that conversation, I'd love to to get your opinion. Do you find, I've always found, this is just me espousing my own personal opinion, but I've always found, and as evidenced by Chappelle in some roles he's done, that comedians make for better dramatic actors, actually.
2: Yeah.
0: Or comedians can do comedy and drama, but dramatic actors can't necessarily do comedy. So it, does that make the comedic performer a more well-rounded performer in general when you have performances like Jim Carrey's pulled off or Chappelle himself? Even Mike Myers has done c- serious you know, roles. Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler, Adam Sandler is a great, is a, is not a not a great example. Uncle and, and Punch Drunk Love. And oh, Bill love Murray's that. a fantastic example, George. I mean, you know, uh, just to the group, like, you know... I would say some of the best films are actually driven. Oh, look at Robin Williams. Didn't he win an Oscar for that? Uh, good Will Hunting. Good Will Hunting.
3: Chappelle was in um, At least um, favorite a Star Game. is Born.
0: Would know?
3: you say I'm sorry? About- Nothing. What'd Go you? ahead.
0: Sorry. No, say it. What would you say? You know, he said he's he he a he good Will Hunting is my favorite movie. Let's no, just move on. I, I don't want to
1: talk it's about it. My anymore. least <laughs> favorite Gus Van Sand picture. Yeah, hey, I'm Roger, Roger, Roger is problems. this about my medals? How about them apples? I know. I know. Value Massachusetts people. See? Look at
3: I think what it is, it's always so shocking when somebody at their peak, we're talking like really great comics, like head, like they are these are the top, you know, these are like all-star athletes, like Michael Jordan of comedy. We're talking Chris Rock. We're talking, you know, we're talking about Chappelle. Did you guys see Chris Rock in the Fargo series?
1: I did. Yeah. Great.
3: So it's like I think it's because they're so good at that that when they switch and they do drama it's like like you're just not expecting it so you're like wow but any i mean i'm not really surprised like i was a dramatic actor at new york university like that because we are very in touch with our emotions very, like we want to cry in the corner just <laughs> somebody's like yeah, get up sure. and go pay your fucking bills but we want to be depressed and flittery like we want to <laughs> be sad cuz it feels really good to sit in it and the only way i mean it's like the movie the joker it seems kind of you know that movie was about mental health. It was brilliant and sad and fucked up. But it's like everybody's complex, you know. But yeah. I mean, I'm not ever surprised that some other famous dramatic actress is hilarious. Like, but but she's so dramatic. Kate Winslet's so dramatic in *Mayor of Easttown*. But she's also just like funny and quirky and weird and *Eternal Sunshine* of a spotless mind. So that's I a great
0: example of the other side of the coin. You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah.
3: Or Helen Mirren, like Jesus, when she's in the Fast and Furious movie, I can't even handle it. And then she's fucking playing the queen. But it's like they're actors, but like comics. But I think it's also very smart when they pick the right roles, like they're not doing too many. You know, when when only Dave Chappelle picks a couple different roles here or, or Chris Tucker in um, Silver Linings Playbook, he was great in that movie. You know, and you just think of him as just one kind of character. But um, I think comics are very complex weirdos. Hey, Pete, like One more movie.
2: random one for you. Uh, how about Paul Rubens in blow?
0: Yeah, there's another. He was a comedian too, right? Really Peewee's like Playhouse. Yeah.
3: Can I say, um, Maria Bamford and Tig Notaro both had this big resurgence when they, Maria Bamford came out about having, um, struggling with mental health and having a breakdown and being institutionalized. And Tig came out with her, with her cancer diagnosis. And those two women, that those moments skyrocketed their career. And it's like, what is more honest and more real than that? Like, and, and you think yeah. that, it's the worst time of your life. People relate to what's real. If someone gets on stage and goes, "Oh my god, I just killed this bitch!" Like, no, you didn't. You'd be in jail. <laughs> like, I don't want to watch. Yeah. A killer I don't want to watch a killer. I want to, you know. So.
0: Tig, you know Tig Nataro.
1: I, I just saw Tig Nataro. She was in that Army of the Dead.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. she's so the best part of that movie.
1: And the, you know that they had <clears throat>
0: the
3: Chris actor
1: Dillard. Chris Deli, Yeah, he was in the film. Why well, he had to like... do all of her scenes via green screen and insert her into the movie?
3: She was great. Yeah,
1: she was.
2: Bridget, when you uh, were first decided that uh, you, what kind of comics were uh, kind of inspired you when you were first coming up? Like, was there anyone that like kind of, uh, kind of pointed you in the direction that said, hey, that kind of inspired you to want to, uh, you know, perform?
3: I mean, I was obsessed with Carol Burnett and you can say like, oh, she wasn't even, you know, really stand up, but her talking to the audience after the show, I remember being four. St- I I can see the shag carpeting in my uh, our parents' house and, in in uh, Massachusetts and just staring at her because I just she got to play characters, she was very physical. I'm a very physical person. And then she just stood on stage and just talked to people. And she was just like there was a this honest connection. I just right then I knew I was gonna be a performer.
0: Um guys, let's take a quick break. Um we're about thirty five minutes in. Go ahead. Take us to break? Yeah.
1: Hey, we'll be right back on $5 buzz.
2: And we're back. And, uh, you know, there was a little bit of a struggle getting that red wine out of the bottle for me, you know, the cork, the, the bottle opener and, um, you know, I'm wearing a white t shirt. I don't know if you could see, but I kind of look like uh, Leatherface from Chainsaw. <laughs> the red wine, the Sangiovese all over me, but no one really cares about me. Bridget, we're here to talk to you. Um, well, a quick question. Um, it seems like a lot of comedians are kind of uh, spending a lot of time in Austin. Are you hearing that as Austin kind of becoming a, a spot, uh, a hot spot for comedians, or is that uh, a little more. Uh,
3: is it because it's open and people have been going and doing stand up there the whole time? Maybe during. COVID. Yeah, I've heard
2: been- of like some comedy clubs opening sure, down opening there.
3: Yeah, um, I did a comedy set at South by Southwest a couple years right. ago, and that was pretty awesome. But I and I have friends that live in Austin, but I have not really experienced the comedy scene there. I do know I've been asked to do a show, and I've been asked to do a lot more shows now to travel because a lot of other comics aren't traveling. And I just saying no i'm just waiting a little bit longer right um so but i didn't know that so i'm gonna check that out if people are doing shows in austin
2: yeah it seems like austin there's a concentration i think just because a the state is open b austin's a cool place to be but i also think it's a city that's really benefiting from the exodus of folks from California and New York and
3: very liberal in Austin, very gay yeah. friendly, reg- yeah, vegetarian friendly. It's a beautiful I love place. it. It
2: yeah. it is a great it is a great city. So it doesn't surprise me at all. But uh just on the performance side, like uh do you have any hesitations or uh like uh reg- um health are you nervous about getting back in front of a crowd?
3: Well, I've been doing which has been good and kind of frustrating. I've been doing Zoom comedy shows consistently. I, I do this show called Gays R Us every single month um, right. through different venues. We were doing it through um, some live comedy thing. Now we're doing it through Rush Ticks. And um, that's a very different experience. I, I can't say that I love it, but um, it's nice that like my family from the East Coast that are in Connecticut, they can watch, my brother in Boston can watch, my sister in Seattle can watch. Like, so there's been benefits of that. And I've been asked to do a lot of live shows. It's just totally different. And Pete will, can tell you, cause he's seen me perform a bunch of times. Like I'm a very physical, I will write my set and then I'll have a 10 minute set, 20 minute set, whatever it is, and then I'll start it and whatever. And then something happens and I just notice everything. And then I go off on a tangent. So I do a lot of crowd work. I do, a, you know, I get off the stage. I usually ask for a wireless microphone. So I'm all in the audience doing it on the screen. It's so isolating. Like, it's like, you know, it's like almost like serving a meal. Like, this is my, there. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, you know. So if somebody's not working, you can't tell. And that's the whole thing. It's like live stand-up. Like, I've shot five comedy specials, and I produced three of, of the five of them. And it's like, I remember one of them, I remember having a great set, and then I watched it. I was doing an edit on it and I was like, this isn't reading, but I know I had a good set. And it's like, so something about live performances that I really, really love seeing it versus like watching a concert on, you know? So I miss it, but I'm also weary. I had a friend that asked me today to do a show in in June. And I'm thinking, I think July is when I'll go back out there.
2: What about the, um, just like that, The I feel like when you're in front of a crowd and you're just ready to go out, you kind of have like a heightened sense of, uh, everything, you know, like you're like adrenaline's going and you're kind of in the zone. Are you able to achieve that for zoom, a screen? Mean? Like we're talking right now, or do you get the same? Yeah. For zoom. Is it, do you feel the same? Do you feel as like you're uh, maxing out on your potential?
3: What I would say is I'm, one of the, I will say few comics in my comic circle that watches all the comedians. So if you're going next I'm not in the bathroom, like practicing my jokes, or I don't show up right before my set. I will even if I'm going last and if I'm headlining, I will watch everybody because I'm experiencing with everybody. And then it's it's a great way to like do callbacks or whatever. Like I was gonna talk about this, like if you've ever gone to a comedy show, and somebody the, the host is talking like, who where are you guys from? Dakota, uh, North Dakota? Where and then like, somebody gets up later and like, where are you guys from? And it's like, everyone's like, fucking North Dakota, we already know this, like be a part of that. Right. So I think a lot more people are sitting down because we have to remember watching other comics. So I think there's a benefit. I'm trying to find like the positive things about that. I also am doing a lot more shows where it's less comics that have more time. So in LA, you know, you get seven minutes, you get 10 minutes, but if you're a touring comic, in your headline and you need an hour you know and, and so it's like well you could do seven minutes here but it's usually then the callback comes in at this point and so you're kind of missing it's like piece by piece i did the show called don't tell your mother pete came um with his family and that was so much fun and it was like nice to be able to tell like a beginning middle and end of a whole i think it was like i don't even know how long that was but um there are benefits um if I could do it all again nobody would have covid and we didn't have to be virtual yes absolutely I was having a really great 2020 like a, probably one of the best years I was making great money I was I just got my own show hosting at the improv which is my favorite comedy club I had great number, like we were sold like things were good my wife surprised me and took me to Vegas for our, our 12 year anniversary and all our friends were there and we got remarried I was like this is my year and then it was like <laughs> no, <laughs> all my shows man. got canceled like I, like, I remember I was doing, uh, I, I used to work on the show called The Real, which is right next door to Pete's uh, stage. So I would go over and be like, hi, and be like, I'm going to go back to the show, which is like <laughs> literally, you know, we're just taping everything together and they're, they're bringing in like golden gooses. It was like such a different experience. Um, and it's, and everything just went away. And I remember an audience member being like on my last show, it was a different show I was doing as a sci-fi show that I was doing warm up for. And they were like, do you think they're going to get rid of audiences? And I was like, how could they get rid of audiences? And it's like, yes, they can absolutely get rid of audiences. And I don't know if some shows will bring back live audiences because it's cheaper not to, and it's always about money. So I might not have a warm up shop anymore, which, which sucks because the insurance was so good. My wife um, had surgery. I'll share this with you guys. She had cancer right when all this happened and she had a $200,000 surgery. And I was like, thank God I was a warm up comic because you know, it saved her life. And it's like, what a, how weird how the whole and also I wasn't working so I could take care of her. So there's like weird kismet blessings that happen, you know.
0: That's a, that's a, I'm, I'm I love to hear. I mean, despite all of that, you know, incredible up and down year for you to find the positive in that is in such a in such a, an event is pretty extraordinary.
3: We just have to keep going, man. <laughs> just we gotta do. keep going. We do.
0: do you find yourself enjoying doing a set? or hosting better?
3: Oh, um, hosting is if it, I don't have to prepare prepare as much as if I host. So it just depends on my mood. If I just want to have fun and be like, I'm going to wear this stupid outfit or whatever. I got puppets. I'm going to bring props or I have a song or I'm going to give away candy. It's really easy for me to host. Cause I, you know, and I've hosted, we've done shows together. We did like, you didn't do last comic standing. Did you?
0: No, I did These not. Know. That. No,
3: that was a show that went. I had an audience for ten hours. I'm doing warm up for ten hours. I'm running wow. up and down the Montemont Theater, and I'm giving you know, it's just it was great. And I'm and what I am is I'm like doing calisthenics, like I'm running around trying to you know be funny. It's just it's but but I also you just are being yourself when you're doing jokes. It's all about how your intonation. It's all about like you could say something and there could be a, a distraction. I was doing a comedy special with a friend of mine named Liz Feldman. And there was three of us and I was the headliner or I was, I was one that went last. I wasn't the headliner officially, but, um, she was in the middle of this, of the show. And somebody in the audience got violently ill and started vomiting. Oh, and God. she doesn't know that she's on stage taping for a comedy special and she's trying to tell her jokes. And it's like there's people in rows that are just getting up and running and she, nobody stopped and redid it. And it's just like, you know, it's different. If you're hosting, you are like, what the fuck is happening over there? You go to it, you become a part of it, but it's like, you know, so it's a very different. So Everyone's working, a critic. what'd you say? I'm sorry.
1: Everyone's a critic.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm working on my craft. Yes. I like to do sets. If I'm just want to fuck around and I want to do hosting.
2: Can you talk a little bit about, um, your experience at, um, the comedy store, because I know it's considered, uh, probably one of the most important uh, significant places to perform for a comedian not only just um, to I guess do a a proper act but also just to kind of practice material that you're working on and also I think just by virtue of it being in LA that on any given night there could be some pretty um, interesting folks, whether it be actors, musicians, or, you know, uh, Hollywood uh, business folks, or it's just a place that interesting people would kind of flock to, um, what was that like? Any, you know, cool stories or give us like uh, some of your favorite uh, experiences there.
3: The, the main three clubs in LA are Laugh Factory, Comedy Store, and Improv, right? Improv, I, can, I will say is like, you know, dinner and a movie. It's very like, it's, everything's concise. You come in you leave at this time whatever the comedy store is a is like just this machine so there's three rooms yeah. i had my first ever open mic there i got in line at three o'clock in the afternoon on like a tuesday and back then there was like 100 people there and they picked 20 names and they threw my name in because i was the only girl and i was like awesome so i get on stage for my i think it was a like two-minute set back then and you're the only people in the audience at five o'clock on a tuesday are the people that are performing and as soon as they're done they fucking jump to go to the next open mic right so you're just watching them dwindle the audience no and they're also sitting there looking at their own jokes reading so all dudes and me and I and my first time I'm on stage I'm talking about what I know I'm about being a lesbian and it's like <laughs> nobody knows nobody cares but it was such, I think I left I think I didn't even finish my two minutes I was embarrassed and I left um but it's a it's a it's a place where comics hang out and there's a community there. So if you're doing this, you know, this three rooms this is the belly room. I've spent so many nights there. And I actually met my wife. We had love at first sight in the belly room. I had a show on a Friday night at nine o'clock. And I remember just being tired because they they have a really heavy drop in list. Right. So I've done shows at the improv. I'm hosting in like, Arsenio Hall comes in. So like one person or Chris Rock will come in. One person will come in and interrupt the show, right? And be like, okay, of course they're gonna take the stage. They should. But the comedy store has this precedent where if you're a regular, you drop in. So a show, you might be on at 10 o'clock and your friends in the audience and you're not going on until two o'clock in the morning because you have all these drop-ins. And I used to host in the, oh, wow. in the main room. So the original room, which is a smaller room. And then the main room I used to host at nine o'clock on Fridays and I would start at nine and I wouldn't go home, get home until three because people are showing up and what happens is friends in the audience you want to be supportive but you're fucking tired you know you're not getting you finally get on and the whole thing about bringers you know whatever so you have to bring your friends and it costs all this money and it's not a fun experience and then and then the comics get on stage that are that are the regulars and they're good and they're used to having really good laughs and they're on at one o'clock in the morning. And then they just get, they turn and they start yelling at the audience. Like, why aren't you laughing at me? It's like, we've been here for five hours oh. it's, and it's, it's kind of a miserable experience and, but there's, I think it's such an important place for comics to go to, because if you're a good listener, it's so interesting to hear the dynamics. And it, it's so important to see bad comedy or comedy that you wouldn't do or you couldn't do like there's jokes that I can't do that another person can do. I think it's really important to see bad comics or to see what people are talking about and what works and what doesn't work. The Comedy Store, if you're gonna do stand-up, it's kind of like a fraternity in a way that you get hazed, not in a fucking horrible way, but like you go through the training grounds. It's, it's, it's a very interesting and dirty and haunted place, but I found the yeah, love well, of you- there. And they're mean comedians, what? but I have to say, Whenever I, I have a great group of comics that I'm, I'm friends with and we run jokes by each other and we get each other shows and we've gone, and when fortune was doing my friend, Fortune Feimster, she was doing her salt and, uh, sweet and salty comedy special for Netflix and she was doing it in North Carolina and she called me, she goes, Hey, I'll fly you out to be my, my opener and warm everybody up, which is like, she didn't have to do that. And unfortunately I couldn't do it because my mother was having surgery. She's fine. But it's like, you know, that, there wasn't even money in the budget for it, you know? And so it's like, we help each other because yeah. we know how hard we work. We know that we're at clubs until two in the morning and if you're the headliner sometimes it's torturous because you're the last one to go and everybody's tired or if people have already left or you know that's happened so many times where you're like i'm i'm the shit, i'm going last and then it's like where's the rest of the audience <laughs> seems, like you're tired
0: yeah i mean it seems you need that sense of community to probably get through some of the tough times and and to get in and, and if everybody understands what it's about to grind out as a comedian which is a tough thing it makes you more prone to maybe help you your, your fellow i'm sure there's people that don't but you know
2: were there any uh was there one specific uh drop in that the audience our listeners might know uh a name and that was that stood out to you i'm sure you've seen a lot of great folks just come in unexpected was there anything that you recall that you were there and you're like wow i'm here and this uh person is just tearing the cover off the ball right now uh, on a on un- an un- on build,
3: there's probably two. Chris um, Rock at the Improv, which was insane, and then Dane Cook at the Laugh Factory, which he just took the whole show. Like he just like in in a in a way that I thought was not nice to the other comics. Like he came in not at the end of a show to the headline. He just took took the time and then just just kept going, and everybody else had to fucking suck a dick and go home and not do their sets, you know. And I think also. Chris Rock was very respectful. I mean, he couldn't go as long as he wants, but he also right. was like, you know, was like, do you mind if you, I didn't talk to him. He was just there when I was there. Uh, he was like, you know, do you mind if these people go for He's like, yeah, whatever. Like just because it's about a community, it's like respecting mm-hmm. somebody else's, you know, it's it's we're all doing these different jobs. And so it, I think it's really being nice goes a long way.
2: Yeah. I mean, he, he did the work, so I'm sure he, you know, he respects the the skill and the art and he um you know i could see him just being like a respectful guy so
3: totally pretty
2: cool but he's also you
3: can tell and it's he, like there's certain comics if i think if they're doing their job right where we feel like we know them too mm-hmm. we know whatever topic they're talking about we're going to like our experience of seeing what they're talking about because we like them it's like talking to a friend almost, or yeah. listening to a friend
1: yeah yeah you mentioned my least favorite comic too so
3: on Dane Cook,
1: yeah, can't stand. it. Oh it's like a running
3: joke. Right. My friend, whenever we see Dane Cook posters and stuff, we send them, we send them to each other and go, like, I just got you front row tickets. We have <laughs> bad stories about that dude. I you know, won't we'll go into that. Yeah, yeah it I, seems mean, like he... I, mean, I
1: can't believe it's still the only guy to sell out Madison Square Garden and the I big room whatever. for that many times. It's just like, oh, yeah, his so... his kind of bro humor kind of went out out, out the door. Yeah. You know what, Roger? That was big in like the
2: tap out, like early mid-2000 UFC, bro, yes. Red Bull crowd.
0: Yeah. I Oof. consider Dane Cook like the Maxim magazine of comedians. I yes. don't know why, oh. but that's kind of like yes. where I put him. And I, I heard a rumor. I don't know if it's true or not, but did not did he steal? I heard that too, man. Lucy K. Set or something still, like that? Is that...
3: There's so many comics that steal jokes.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh. I mean, there's, you know, leary stole all of uh, Bill Hicks jokes. I mean, that's, it
0: happens all the time the lines are probably pretty blurred amongst the, well, the thing is, you know, a lot of our
3: topics, you know, we all think the same steps in the media, things are going through, you know, it's like there are jokes that are gonna be the same, but if you're a good comic and that's another thing why I think it's important other comics listen and and, like I see every comedy special, even someone I don't like, because if you see someone else doing this joke, I'm not gonna, why am I gonna do another version of it? Like, I think it just, it's like education. It's like reading up on, you know, I watch every Netflix comedy special, everything. You know, and I think it's important to support, but also to see what people are talking about and what works and does it. But like I have, my friend has a horrific Amy Schumer story. Like just, it's heartbreaking to know people that are really successful that have stolen. Like it's fucked oh. up.
2: That's another person I don't find funny at all. And um I don't know You're but I, you know people. what yeah. every every you know what i think is funny pete is not what you think is funny and yeah not what no, that, bridget's funny and that's what it makes everyone um that's
3: another thing it's so yeah, like yeah. i feel like more people can like you know leonard skinner like okay these kind of people but it's like comedy is very specific
1: mm-hmm. wait Sorry. like leonard skinner
3: <laughs> well i just mean like i can play leonard skinner for my dad who's like this Like, sweet guy from New Hampshire, and I can fucking jam out to Leonard Skinner. That's a bad example. I'm sorry. I don't fucking know. I just meant, you know.
2: (laughs) Audrey, she's talking about some middle of the road rock and roll. You turn on a little Leonard Skinner, nobody's gonna get too upset.
3: Side
1: note, I actually saw Leonard Skinner as a kid uh, with uh, Ted Nugent.
3: Oh, Jesus. Yeah, Motor City
1: Madman. At Angel Stadium with my dad as a kid. Anyway. That's all I got to say about that.
3: <laughs> I will never use that reference. Again.
1: You know, we talk about comics, and you know, we all know that the sort of, they'll you know from from vaudeville and cat skills and led into you know the Henny Youngmans and the and so forth in the fifties and the the Ernie Kovacs and you go into early 60s and you know with everything else that was changing in america comics changed and the first two that really kind of changed first two or three that changed the landscape of comedy you know of course are lenny bruce richard pryor and george carlin back in those days and to some extent John rivers i would say too as far as getting more personal or getting political or getting less of the uh sort of safe you know middle of america middle of the road comedy and and going into someplace more daring, you know, Bridget, I'd be really want to know, you know, who do you consider some of the icons that, you know, not even ones that influenced you, but who you consider icons. And then who do you consider as, you know, maybe your two or three or four favorite comics of all time?
3: Well, I would say Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy, Joan Rivers. Can I put in Bugs Bunny? Can I put that motherfucker? In? <laughs> of
1: or at least you didn't do stand up right? but I mean, I mean, I I mean there's like- a difference, right? Between stand-up and people that are funny. Yeah, because you know? I Bugs mean like Cara Burnett
3: is like a funny person, but she's not That's necessarily a stand-up. Not a stand-up okay. comic. Okay. Yeah. Right. I'll remove, I'll remove Bugs Bunny. Don't don't tell him that I said anything. Um, probably George Carlin.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's hard oh. to argue with that list, you know. It's uh,
3: I love Richard Pryor, but for me. I feel like Eddie Murphy just uh, it was like an, another dimension to him where where he was like serious and funny and bubbly and commercial. Like there was just war where Richard Pryor just kind of got what you got, which I was fucking down with. I thought he was brilliant. But it wouldn't have been Eddie Murphy without Rich, C- Richard Pryor. So
1: there's an underground tape of Richard Pryor back in the day that I saw and Richard Pryor is my favorite personal yeah. comedian. Yeah. And there was one that he did that was used to be able to get it on a vhs and it was really dirty video it was like early 70s and he did about a half hour bit where he played a heroin addict
3: (gasps) yes was there a documentary about this
1: yeah and it's well, i mean i I saw i mean back in the day you know before it wasn't it wasn't widely circulated and it wasn't funny and it, it wasn't i mean it wasn't you know laugh out loud funny but what it was was a spot-on impersonation of a junkie you know i'm not sure what he was going for there but it's legendary and it's you know i mean at that time he was, was doing movies like lady sings the blues when he first came out and did and he did the movie which way is up but um you know he had a there was talk about somebody who had the potential to really being a dramatic actor if he wanted to be And he just kept taking the money at some point doing movies like the toy, you know, (laughs) which is an abomination of the toy. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Or Superman three, you know, he was doing the cash grabs there for a minute and man, I just missed movies like some kind of hero sort of exhibits or blue collar, you know, the potential that that he had, he could have won an Oscar, I think really. And because he had that fine line, you know, we all know his backstory and so forth. And I don't want to go on a Richard Pryor rant, although I could all day. um uh, Yeah, I just say that people like him. And then there was like Richard Pryor was always sort of getting, you know, he an emotionally intelligent comic. You know, he, he he was able to tell stories, whereas Carlin was an intellectual comic. It was a wordsmith. Yeah, you know, yeah. he he dealt with, uh, you know, he a bit political too. You know, there's just that so many different approaches and, you know, the difference between, you know, observational and situational comedy and and so forth. Then you get into people in the late 70s who start to bring upon more of a performance art element like Andy Kaufman, you know, they weren't selling their, soul, putting their soul online. They were doing a, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen, I believe, does sort of a similar element today where they... <laughs> sort of crawl into somebody else Steve martin was was, i gotta tell you when i was a kid that was my favorite first comic as a kid somebody and some of these other ones i I had discovered later right when i got you know more book smart shall we say but you know as far as pure comedy richard steve martin was able to you know kind of get everybody you know he was able to rope everybody in the four, the Mount Rushmore, I
2: guess for me, I'll keep it really quick. Number one, I would just say Eddie Murphy. I mean, I was at the age where like when Eddie Murphy was hitting, he's from Long Island anyway, so I got to just, that tip puts him over the edge for me. But he, I mean, I remember as a little kid, everyone was just like, did you see Eddie Murphy raw? Did you see Eddie Murphy delirious? And then like, there was this like buildup. There was like this mythical thing. And when you saw it, it was like just as good as better as like everyone made it out to be. Went from like this, like taboo, filthy, like I don't know. The mainstream thought he was like this dirty, you know, unacceptable guy. And now he's doing like Disney films. My daughters are watching his haunted house movie, and I'm watching it with him. And I'm like, this is freaking Eddie Murphy, man! Like the versatility to be able to like go from like doing like delirious to like, you know, my my five year old daughter is watching this movie with Eddie Murphy. So I put him in there. Obviously, George Carlin. I used to love watching. When i was a little kid and i don't know maybe when i was a kid and just seeing these people that just seem like uh they're like greek gods they didn't even seem like real people you know uh rodney dangerfield back to school incredible i mean everything the king of the one like the one-liner right just like his what he did no one else could really do and this one might be a little controversial i'm showing my age roger i put andrew dice clay he was a shooting star this guy was just doing whatever he wanted. No one else was doing it. It was totally inappropriate, I think. But he's like kind of had some, he's come back to life a couple of times.
3: He was doing stand-up at the comedy store two years ago. He was giving out number one pencils because he was making a joke about number two pencils or whatever.
2: Yeah, I, yeah. But there was this period of time where Dice was like, it was like, he was bigger than Elvis, I think.
3: Who is yeah. yours, Pete guy? I want to hear who yours is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's,
0: I, I've I've been thinking about it as you guys have been talking and uh you know it's interesting there's so many factors and you know is it do you decide it by would like I would turn that special I would I would watch that special if it was on like Shawshank Redemption is on people say they just have to watch the rest of it is there a comedic special that comes on that you just have to watch the rest of because you know it's great I know I know for sure if I see a Carlin thing, I will watch it. That's I, I won't turn it off. You know, that he he captivated my mind early on, and I've always loved him. So I don't, you know, I would put him on the on the on the Rushmore. But I'm I again. I mean, Ricky Gervais is another one. I just think is ahead of his time. I mean,
2: British comics are great, dude. Brit- British so comedy awesome. is everything. Is British else. is. Is, is better Do you put
3: robin williams on your list um, and
0: then and then i i would have to i mean robin williams is just i don't even i actually don't even look at robin williams as a comedian i just look at him as one of my heroes yeah um you know i love i just i've always i don't know what it is i've always just loved that man loved seeing him loved everything about and him. i say one quick thing pete about robin williams and this is just by um
2: maybe if you're uh, a parent went Pete, when maybe this will happen to you when you're a parent and you drive around and some movies I haven't seen, but I know them. Like for example, um, the nightmare before Christmas, I've never seen it, but I know every single thing about the movie. Cause I've heard it a hundred times. So I've heard Aladdin like a hundred times and his performance. I, without even seeing it, just like the vocal, like relentless, Performance of that movie is fucking incredible.
0: Was he a break? Roger might be able to answer this. Was he one of the first big name comedians to do that? Because it used to be guys like I feel like he was like voice actors that did cartoons. You he, know, he literally he, maybe Dom DeLouise did it early on, but well, no, as far as the
1: personality in an animated film, particularly like a Disney film, he did change the landscape. I remember. Reading something, you know, after his death, there was a, a a whole article about Aladdin in particular in the recording studio when they were doing it, and they, you know, <laughs> there's no for, breaks, dude. It's just yes, relentlessly amazing. They they literally had to change some of the animation and go back in because what he said was so funny that did not match what the character was doing. So like the Jack Nicholson impersonation and 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 this that and the other, they had oh, to literally awesome. go back in. What's that?
3: Small, it was a whole lawsuit because it was a small role, and he and he was such a draw, and he's the reason it became so big that they had to renegotiate his contract after the fact because oh, he
1: was. Wow, like they didn't choice. mention that part in the article, but oh, it, it, that yeah. Yeah, that makes sense because
3: he was yeah. the movie, like Aladdin. He was the movie.
1: <laughs> he was yeah. the movie, a hundred percent. And yes, that, that you, you're right. That is the sort of turning mark, you know. Before they had Eddie Murphy and Mike Myers and Shrek and so forth like that, then they they started putting in big names above the title in an animated film. Very rare, and that changed that
0: landscape for sure. Robert, Robin Williams is an energy, not a single thing. You know, uh, uh, you see some of his old clips, especially everything that went around after he did die, and it, it was nonstop. It was a switch. It was on. It was and it and. and if you if you really want to take it a certain way, and the way I I, I admire it, I think so much is that he was truly free in moments, and you are actually observing a human being behaving freely, not hurting anybody around them, behaving and acting free. And it just it, it the moment when you capture it, it was it's it's amazing, you know. It
1: was a positive energy, no 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 doubt on his in his performance. You know, with that first uh, album that he did, I had the cassette tape in the early days of cassettes. Reality, what a concept! And I pretty played that thing over and over and over again. And I always wondered what he was doing, you know, physically, you know, because that's having an album is almost like defeats the purpose of Robert Williams because his physicality, you know, uh, like Bridget, is is so you know endemic to his performance. You know, it's that's part of part of the whole thing. I'll never forget my dad and I watching the tonight show when he, one of his first appearances on the tonight show and the cameraman couldn't even keep up with because <laughs> he was running up. I swear he was <laughs> on cocaine. Probably was. It, it, I, I mean, it was manic over the top. Hey Pete, I just real
2: quickly on Robin Williams. I was listening to uh, <clears throat> Joe Rogan's podcast and you know, he's done the comedy store quite a bit. And uh, he said he performed at the comedy store one time and live. Los- folks who are like kind of hanging around to talk to him after the show and one guy came up to him was like an older guy with a beard and joe rogan's talking with like two like a minute into it, he's like holy shit it's fucking robin williams like robin williams waited online line like everybody else didn't grandstand or cut ahead of me and, and didn't say who he was and he just talked to him and and rogan is like holy shit robin williams watched my show paid attention and came up and talked to me and waited in line like everybody else and I thought that's a really cool story about Robert. Uh, you
0: hear a lot of stories about him like that. Um, actually, uh, there's a funny one from I used to work on uh, TRL on MTV a long time ago, and uh, he was on promoting one of his later movies. And twenty-four hour photo. I don't know. I, oh, I, I he mean, was so good in that. Yeah, he cool. was. Uncle Psy? Uh,
1: one hour?
2: Frigid. Uncle Sai. Yeah, one hour photo. Mark what a Robert. great movie, what dude! A what a great. Oh my god! So sketchy, but so, so good.
1: good. So good. <laughs>
0: And uh, it, well, it, it, we were all finished up, and uh, as soon as they say they're gonna, it's a live show. It goes live at four o'clock, and um, you know, like a, right around like three fifty, we finish with all the rehearsals and everything, and they they throw the audience in there. It's like the last chance everybody has on the crew to go to the restroom. So I I ran to the restroom to pee, and a bunch of guys peeing in there. Two camera guys are peeing, and they're arguing because after the show. <laughs> After the show, one of them has to stay to do um to do this like a uh, wraparound news show. And it's a pain in the ass with like, it, with Kurt Loader. They're sitting there just reading news for like, you know, an hour. I I was the I was definitely staying, and so this guy Mike and this guy Rob, their cameraman, they were arguing like, yeah, it's my turn to go. I got to go home. I got to go home. You know, and uh, and then all of a sudden from the stall you hear. <laughs> Rob you have to go home like in this really (laughs) crazy voice and everyone stops in their tracks and I'm washing my hands and just out like completely normal walks robin williams who walks the, doesn't even say anything just walks right out and, goes, uh, and leaves the bathroom and goes down the hall and we get to the show it was absolutely oh, awesome that's so awesome, dude. awesome
3: can i say one more thing about robin williams and you probably yeah. already can we just
0: make this the robin williams show
3: um <laughs> 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 I love that in his movies he had in his contract that they would hire local homeless people in every single one of his. movies. Oh
0: my god, cars. I did not know that. Fuck.
3: Every single one of his movies, he required that they had to local homeless people to pay them, and I just feel like, what a cool dude, man! What a cool fucking. He's an dude. angel. He's a fucking. He was angel. A
1: good San Franciscan. I mean, that's you know straight up born and raised in the in San Francisco, and you know he uh, he held that that mindset. You know the best of the best of san francisco with
0: his heart is it fair to say guys we at least agree on one route rush around the horn everyone seemed to have a pretty glowing report and a pretty good thing raj can we get you on board with the robin williams rushmore
1: yeah i never said my fourth one so no I would, you did i will go ahead and easily easily yes yeah. you to, to your your request yes robin oh, you williams know.
3: We I'm did it. Rushed. We all agreed on it's something. The last podcast from the buzzers. <laughs> <laughs> never gonna
0: again. Well, yeah. uh, I mean, uh, you know, as it's, it's getting time, guys, I mean, this has been awesome. You know, Raj, I, 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 but I don't want to stop. <laughs> but I mean, last, last thoughts around the horn. What do you say, Raj?
1: I just want to, it's not really so much the thing I wanted to say about comedy. I mean, this is about Bridget our episode today and like my, my, I'll ask the question you probably were both going to ask and just you know what is what do we got what are we looking for what are we looking forward to what are, what do what are we should be eyeballing for you in the future
3: um well since the world's opening back up I will be doing a lot more stand-up up in the world and it'll be everything will be posted on my website BridgetMcManus.com. if anybody wants free tickets hit me up um and I will give you free tickets. Um, I signed with Starburn Starburns Audio to do uh, t- to transform my my collaborative talk show that has been a five um, season series called Happy Wife Happy Life. It's like a comedy show where my wife and I, Carmen, of uh, married for thirteen years, and our friends who've been married for six years. Uh, Kat Davis and Kristen Smith, we kind of debate and we answer relationship questions and, you know, it's like a hot mess and we very much just, it's a comedy thing. We're like, we don't know what the fuck we're talking about, but we share some shit. And so that is coming to Starburn Audio uh, in the fall. And then um, I have, I, I'm a, I have a literary manager and I am uh, up for the Sundance Episodic Lab. And so fingers crossed, I'll find out in August if I ended up getting it. I'm, I'm in the second or third round right now with a with a very twisted, of course, I write, you know, dark comedies, uh, um, um, hour-long series uh, that almost sold to Lionsgate, didn't, but hopefully something can happen with that. So there's a lot more writing and a lot more performing in in the future, and I'm very available. So if anybody wants to hit me up um, for uh, tickets for anything, I just, I love connecting with people. So come on over, BridgetMcManus.com.
0: Bridget, we look forward to everything and anything I will be there that you do, because- you are incredible.
3: You guys are incredible. Thank you. Really, this, is, this has been a highlight. I, I really, really love your show, and um, I'm a fan. George, anything?
2: Yeah, I just want to say I'm really glad that comedy is back. I'm really glad that live performance is back. I'm really glad that um, Bridget, like yourself, and your contemporaries can get back out there and do what uh, the people need it. You know, they really do. And your wife is a musician, and people need to hear her. And, people need people need the arts and live performances you know it goes back to comedy goes back to what like the ancient romans and greeks and even before that so it's uh something that everyone needs and i'm glad that you're able to get back out there and i'm looking forward to hearing what you do next and i also really appreciate uh you taking the time and the fact that You like, um, you appreciate what we're doing kind of means a lot to me because, uh, in this day and age, I think a lot of folks just want to like draw lines and divide people and put them in like categories and containers. But you know what? It's people just want to like be cool and have a good time and enjoy life because you know we're only here for a little while. And uh, I'm glad that you took some time out to listen to us and I'm glad that you took some time out to be a part of the show. So I just want to say thanks and, uh, looking forward to uh, what you do next
0: hey Raj before you finish up I do have to share one thing you you're all familiar with my dog Nana yeah right <laughs> I wouldn't Bridget gave me I don't have Nana if not for Bridget she rescued oh, that he's dog. the one She rescued the doggy. Roger's yeah. probably heard the story and I uh, was there when this whole thing went down <laughs> and uh and and my wife uh, she who who loves Nana still claims to this day that she was hoodwinked a little bit by us but uh I, we are very glad to have her and uh she's a little she's a little extension of you I get to see every day which makes me very very happy I adopted
3: so. her and then I went to Nashville to the <laughs> series and I'm like I'll be back and Pete w- watched her and then he wouldn't give her back to me <laughs> that's the truth that my wife was like "Please, you don't need another dog we already have two at that point but I have never seen I'm honestly my entire life I've always had pets I've never seen a, a, a human and their animal be so compatible as he, uh, <laughs> when they ride together in their bike, and he's sitting. The little Nana is in his basket. I just except
2: want... for when Jeff Probst is, is involved, right? Oh,
3: Jeff is in the basket with me. <laughs> <Naina, laughs> they're the same size. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, yeah, so I feel like I'm I'm her her godmother. So you're welcome.
0: You sure are. Love you, my friend. Thank you. you. Thank you.
1: Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for listening to this edition of $5 Buzz. I almost forgot the name of our own show right there. And I just want to say if you have any ideas or questions and comments about this show or other episodes or about topics and other guests that we would like to have on, please email us at $5 Buzz. And that's F-I-V-E-D-O-L-L-A-R-B-U-Z-Z at gmail.com. And we'll get back to you as soon as we're done laughing. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day.
0: Yay. Many
1: thanks. George.